Welcome to the Church at the Springs podcast. The Springs exist to lead our generation to God and connect people to a community of Christ followers who change their world. To learn more about us, visit thesprings.net. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. First off, my team didn't make the Super Bowl, all right? And we lost our quarterback, Tom Brady, first of this month. Uh, He retired, or did he? We'll see. But hey, I'm so glad you guys are with us. You know, when you think about the Super Bowl, there's a lot of things about the Super Bowl that we all know. That uh, we know, for instance, the commercials are expensive, right? Like, and I found out the very first Super Bowl, a 30-second commercial spot was $78,000, the very first one. However, this year, a 30-second spot is $7 million. And, you know, and, and here's something that maybe you didn't know about the Super Bowl. I heard this this week, that the Super Bowl Sunday is the second biggest eating day of the year. Right behind Thanksgiving. That, that means uh, that whatever there will be eight million pounds of guacamole eaten today. <laughs> that, and it, you know, and the the other thing, the big halftime show. You, when you think about that, I don't know if you've realized this. I didn't know this until this week. They don't pay the artists or the band for that show. They pay they pay for the sets and to fly them in, but they don't pay them anything. And based on some of the shows we've seen, I think that's fair. It's, but, and then, you know, how much, you think about how much does a player make? I mean, this is a big game, right? And the NFL will take in $14.6 billion with the Super Bowl. So you think, man, the winners, what do they get? Well, actually, the winning team gets $157,000 each. Losing team gets $82,000 each. And the NFL gets $14.6 billion. It makes sense, right? It's like, and then, you know, and the good news is you can still get tickets. I was on Ticketmaster earlier. You can still get tickets for the game. You, you're going to have a really hard time getting there. But, uh, but it's, I think you could pick up $3,500 for a ticket. Now, that's up at the top nosebleed section of the stadium. If you want to be down on the field, you can, you can get a ticket like a first, second row for twenty grand. Uh, and that means that you and a, a friend can go to the Super Bowl for ah, about the price of a new car. That, what a deal. And, you know, all these things, when you think about it, at the end of the day, today, there's going to be over 100 million people watching two teams fighting and battling for the championship. And I think it was 2020, as our, as our nation was still walking through the pandemic, the NFL in the Super Bowl, they, they, were, they wanted to send a message of hope and unity. They, you know, they, and they wanted to do that. They thought that the idea was we need to get a unifying figure from the past to come and speak to unity and hope. And so Super Bowl 55 in Raymond James Studio, Stadium in Tampa Bay, before the first snap, that stadium and 100 million people 
got to witness the return of a digital version of the NFL legend, Vince Lombardi, with a message of hope and unity. Watch. The road has been rough. The load, heavy. And nothing from hell to sky has turned us back. We did not get here alone. We arrived as one. With courage, with stamina, with teamwork. And after all the cheers have died down, and the stadium is empty, after the headlines have been written, the measure of who we are is what we do with what we have. And I firmly believe in our finest hour, our greatest fulfillment to all we hold dear is that moment when we work our hearts out in good cause and lie exhausted on the field of battle victorious. Because it's not whether we get knocked down, but whether we get back up as one. It takes all of us. And the last three years have fractured so many relationships and friendships. We, we have less friends than ever. But it, when you look at life, it's a team sport. From the very beginning, God created you and I to be in relationships. I mean, Genesis said that, the very start of the Bible. Genesis said, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. That was so much bigger than a husband and wife relationship. That was like you and I were created for community, for doing life side by side with people. And, and so selection of those people is critical. Who, who will be those close friends in your life? I mean, in Proverbs 12, 26, it says that the righteous choose their friends carefully. That means they're selective, they're intentional. It's not haphazard, it's not random. Because God knows that we become like the people around us. It's impossible to live, live life right with the wrong friends. I mean, it really matters. We're, and so this weekend, I wanna lean into a unifying figure, Jesus. And just to see how he chose friends, how he built his team. He built a team that changed the world. Let's lean in and, and learn. How do we do that in our world? If you, if you have your Bible app, you can track along. My notes will be in there as well as on the screen. But the, the, the first thing you see that we have to build a roster of friends. 
Now, a roster, the, the NFL, they allow 53 players on a team's roster. That's it. That's the max. That's a large group of people. You know, the, the roster, but the roster encompasses the whole team. It encompasses starters, second and third string, right? All the different teams, offensive and defensive and special teams. I mean, it's, it's all of that. And, you know, when you think about Jesus and how many disciples he had, if I'd asked most people, hey, how many disciples did Jesus have? We'd say 12 because we, that's what we talk about. We talk about 12. But you, you got to understand, he had a lot more than that. He had a roster of disciples. 12 got all the airtime, but let me kind of take you to one place in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. He, 72 other, on top of the 12 that he sent out, the, the 72, he trained them and he sent them on a mission. And then you find in verse 17, they came back and they were all joyful and excited and telling the stories of the mission and coming back. And so, they were, they were critical to the mission and Jesus trained them. But here's the crazy thing. That's the only time they're mentioned in scripture that we don't, we don't know who they are. We don't know anything about their socioeconomic background or their gender or their marital status or their education. We, we don't even know their names, but Jesus did. He, he knew their names. He, he trained them. And they were probably part of the 120 that, that were there at the beginning of Acts. And they were a part of, of the 3,000 that came to Christ at Pentecost, you know, the first day of the church. They were there in that. But, uh, you know, with the, the, those, those names, I mean, think about it in your world. Who's on your roster? What? Who are those people in your life that you know them by name, but maybe you don't know more than that? Maybe you, and those are kind of like um, uh, casual friends based on circumstances in your life. Maybe, maybe your kids play on the same ball team uh, and you know them and you sit with them at the games, or maybe, maybe your kids are in the same class at school, or, you, know, or you, you work with them, or maybe you go to church with them. You, you know them. You don't know much about them, but you know, you like them. You enjoy talking to them, but you, you know their name and not much more than that. that that's the roster. And, and you know, and you've got to, we, we said in this last series, remember, everyone is in your life for a reason, and everyone is in your life for a season. That means the ro on the roster, those people come and go. You know, life moves them on or it moves them out or you just don't spend time with them or you don't see them anymore. But who's on your roster? I mean, and where do you, how do you build a roster? Well, you know, practically here, the best way to start building a roster at the Springs is start serving in a ministry and you'll meet a band of brothers and sisters that you'll do ministry with and you'll, you will build those relationships. I mean, or sign up for a small group. You'll find a group to get connected with and you could do either one of those things on that connect card 
that Jacob talked about earlier. You can check one of those boxes and one of our team will call you because that's going to, you're building a roster. And out of that roster, you know, the whole, the roster is your starters, your, your second string, your third string players. But out of that roster, some of those second, third string players are going to become starters in your life. They're going to become the starting lineup. They're going to become more important in your life, in your world. And, and that's the second thing you see with Jesus. He, he, you and I have to not just build a roster, but we got to choose your starters. Who, who's the starting lineup, right? Those, those are the ones that you're shoulder to shoulder with. I mean, you, you are in regular cadence and rhythm. You're meeting with them. You're, you're gathering. You're spending time together. And, and I don't know about you, but growing up as a kid, I know it's going to shock most of you, but I never played organized sports. Uh, I tried, but it, I never got chosen. You know, I just wasn't a, a player like that. But what I did do is play pickup ball. As a kid in New York, I remember we, we would set it up and say, hey, meet at the field at this time. And we got the word out. And, and, and here's the thing about pickup ball. Whoever shows up plays, right? It's like, and, you know, usually when that happened, we, we didn't have enough people and we didn't have the best people. And, you know, and so when it, when it comes to our friends, though, too many of us are still playing pickup ball. We, yeah, whoever shows up, right? Now, let me show you the danger of that. Because in 2010, there was a Super Bowl commercial about a pickup football game. Watch this one. Deal, oh, man. come on, man. You've been riding me all day. Mike, you're playing like Betty White out there. That's not what your girlfriend said. Oh, baby. Oh, 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 when it comes to friends, hey, whoever shows up, wherever, yeah, we'll, you invite them in. And here's the deal. You're going to get stuck with a bunch of Betty Whites. People that, that you're going to have a hard time getting rid of. You know, they're the wrong people. They're in, and, you know, it, when it comes to, to choosing the starting lineup, the, those people closest to you, you you've got to get intentional. Yeah, because selection is the name of the game. And uh, Jesus See, Jesus loved everyone, but he chose 12. And it, let me kind of take you to that, how he did that. Matthew 4, 18 and 19, it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. He, he called them out. He he picked them. He chose them. He knew who they were. It wasn't a haphazard. Like, he wasn't just walking down the beach going, hey, hey, come on. Hey, you want to come? Come on. Yeah, no, it wasn't an all-call thing. It was an intentional. Because you find it a little bit later on, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come, too. I mean, 
he, he was intentional about who he picked. And, you know, the, this, this was his small group, these 12, because for the next three years, they were 24-7, life on life, spending time together. They were laughing together. They were crying together. They were praying together. That This was his small group. And, you know, the, the key to your starting lineup is time. You spend time together regularly. That's how you get to know. That's how you build relationships. See, we don't just need friendships. We, we need deep, meaningful relationships. And you know, Jesus made time for the 12. And, and, you know, you look at us today, we don't have time. That's one of the things that is detrimental to relationships. We're, we're hydroplaning through life. And you got to create time to spend time with people who, who hold the same values that you hold, who, who want to grow in their faith, with people who want their kids to grow up to love Jesus. You, you got to find the right people in that circle. And, and, you know, you do understand outside your immediate family that friends are the ballgame. And so selection is critical. And as important as... Who you're supposed to pick is who you are not supposed to pick. There, there are people, and if you ever want to know who they are, go back and read through the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, man. Read a chapter a day and highlight and circle kind of like every time God says, stay away from this person. And because you could find out if you, if you have the wrong people. Matter of fact, in, you know, he says people, one of those types of people, do not pick people who love to argue. I mean, because people who love to argue, I mean, Proverbs 23, verse 3 says, any fool can start arguments. The honorable thing is to stay out of them. So for, your, for, for that starting lineup in your life, pick, don't pick people who love to fight. Love to pick a good fight. No, or people who gossip. I mean, it's uh, Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, stay away from gossips. They can't keep a secret and they tell everything. Which means if they're gossiping to you about someone else, know it, mark it down. They're going to gossip to somebody else about you. It's who they are. And you know, when God, God puts gossip in a line, we say we have this, ah, oh, it's a small sin. No, when God lists gossip, he puts it in with uh, murder and sexual immorality. I mean, he, all together. Why? Because there is nothing more destructive than gossip. To, it destroys families. It destroys relationships. It destroys churches. It's a, don't, you don't want those people. And, and yet, so who, who are your starters? The roster is that large group of casual friends, but from within them, you have starters that you have handpicked to be close friends. This should be your small group here at the Springs. This should be a band of brothers and sisters that you meet with regularly that are a priority because you need them and they need you and we're better together. I mean, so, and then from your starters, Jesus didn't stop there. Then you got to select your MVPs. The MVPs are just a small group, right? It's like, it's interesting that uh, the average American has two close friends 
but 25% of Americans say they don't have any close friends. Because, you know, I mean, here's the thing about MVPs. These are your closest friends. They're small in number, but huge in influence. They're, they're the first call when pain and tragedy strikes your life. They're the first call when a big celebration happens and you can't wait to tell someone the good news. And the closer I am to someone, the greater the influence I have in my life. And it, it, I mean, that, that's it. Your MVP should make you better. Your best friends should bring out the best in you. I mean, and, you know, you, you think about the MVPs, I mean, okay, let me, how many of you are parents? All right. How many of you have a favorite child? Yeah, no. All right. I was going, no, we don't have favorites. Yes, you do. Come on. You do. There's one that's a favorite one week, and the next week there's another one that's a favorite, right? It, here's the thing. Jesus loved everyone, but he had favorites. He had three favorites. Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, his MVPs. Jesus trained the 72. He chose the 12, but he needed the three. And you see that because he trusted them. See, first you've got to spend time to have that starting lineup, but you've got to trust the MVPs. And that comes over time. And it's... And because Jesus invited them to the mountaintop with him. I mean, this mountaintop experience in Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 2 says, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He left the other nine behind. He said, you, you three, come with me. And he led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white far wider than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Listen, you only invite your closest friends to stuff like this, right? I mean, he, he invited them in to know something about him that nobody else knows. They saw what nobody else saw. Why? Because he trusted them. The mistake we make is that we trust the wrong people with the secrets of our lives. Those are, these are those trusted friends. I mean, he said, I, 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 he, he, so he said, these are the ones I'm bringing with me. And, and he spent the most time with the guys who would bear the greatest responsibilities moving forward. You see that in Peter, James, and John. They, they were the leaders in the New Testament church. And then he, he also trusted them in the valley of pain. The, these guys were his 2 a.m. calls. You know who those are in your life. They're very few. When you need somebody. They, they, let me kind of take you there. It was a, he, he was uh, about to be arrested and then be crucified. And he knew that. And he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take you to that moment in Mark 14. It says, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
stay here and keep watch with me. He said, just stay with me. I mean, he said, I just need you to be with me. You know, oftentimes when, when tragedy strikes in your life, your heart's breaking and people know it and they, they come in and they go, hey, listen, I'm here for you. And they say something like, hey, if you need anything, you call. And they mean well. But think about it. When you say that to somebody whose heart's been broken, what you're saying is the responsibility is on you. You're, you're requiring them to call you and ask you for something. That's not what MVPs do. That's not what your closest friends do. You know what they do? Hey, I'm not here for you. I'm here with you. I'm going to move in. I'm going to step into your pain and I'm not leaving. That's what, that's what your closest friends do. I mean, and that, so think about it. Who are the MVPs of your life? Who are the people? Who are your 2 a.m. calls? Who are the people that you trust and you need? You know, can you imagine, though, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, after that, was arrested and then crucified? Can you imagine how the disciples felt? Not just the 12, not just the three, the 72. Hey, how they felt, they were shocked. How did this happen? They're devastated. What happened? Why did this happen? What are we going to do? And we saw a microcosm of that pain on January 2nd on a Monday night football game. DeMar Hamlin, who's a starting safety for the Buffalo Bills, collapsed on the field and the medical team rushed in and for nine minutes they administered CPR. He died on the field. And, and to watch that game, a stadium filled with thousands of people were eerily silent. This picture of his team on their knees praying I mean, both teams were on their knees praying as they took him off that field. And an entire nation started praying for DeMar Hamlin as he was, they brought his heart back and they put him in an ambulance and rushed him to the hospital. And they, he's 24 years old. And, uh, and, you know, and then it was everywhere. Pray for DeMar, pray for DeMar. Billboards, every stadium, NFL stadium had pray for DeMar. All the NFL teams changed their Twitter profile to pray for DeMar. And you know, it's one thing to say pray for DeMar, but it's something completely different to actually pray for DeMar. And that happened on ESPN when a football analyst did just that on a live TV show and it shocked the nation. Watch the moment. Um, football gave me everything. You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm -hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And, 
I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it is. DeMar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you, and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. And we lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 That video went viral. Over 5 million people viewed that video. I mean, that, and that was, he collapsed on a Monday night. That was on a Tuesday. And on Wednesday, he woke up in the hospital. And last Thursday, he stood on the stage at NFL Honors before all the NFL. And he stood with his team behind him. And it was a moment but it was that team, his medical team, that saved his life. And as he stood on that stage, he thanked them for saving his life. And he, and he said, sudden cardiac arrest was nothing I would have ever chosen to be part of my story. My vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player I could be. But God's plan was to have a purpose greater than any game in this world. And he said, I wanna thank the people that are on this stage for saving my life. Because of them, the journey continues. Who is standing behind you? Who is standing beside you? Who's standing with you? You need a team. And you have to be proactive in building that. That's, God says, I want you to be together. You need each other. And it's got to be priority. Think about it. Jesus built a team that changed the world. That, you know, they, they were heartbroken and devastated after his death. When Jesus was dead and buried, God had a plan. And he rose from the dead. You know what he did? He called the team back together. And he, he called the team back together. And he said, guys, we're going to change up the game plan for the second half. I'm sending you out. Go and tell them I'm alive. You need to tell them that I love them. And I have a plan and a purpose for their life that they matter. Go change the world one life at a time. And that's what they did. For some of you, maybe you're here today and you haven't been in church in a long time or ever. 
You've got to hear this, man. God knew you would be here. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. You matter to him. Every detail of your life, every broken heart moment of your life. He says, I love you. That's what Jesus came for. That's what Jesus died for. He died to pay for the sins of the world, for all of our sins and our screw-ups and the things that we're embarrassed about and don't want anybody to ever bring up again. He died for that so that you could be forgiven, so that we could get forgiveness. We get eternal life one day in heaven. That's a bonus. But we get to do life together. He said, I'm giving you abundant life, full, rich, meaningful life. What a God. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I've never chosen to follow Jesus. I've never stepped into that relationship. I didn't know you could do it right now today. You can make that choice, that decision today. Say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want him to be the leader, savior of my life. Let's go to the Father in prayer. If that's you and you say, I, I want to begin that relationship, tell him that. You could pray this prayer, not out loud, but between you and God, right where you sit. You say, dear Father, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son, Jesus, to die for me, to pay for my past and my sin, to give me a future, to give me forgiveness and a new life. And today, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I ask you to be the leader and the savior of my life. Teach me now how to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in the area, join us on Sundays. For times and locations, visit thesprings.net. And again, thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast.